0: Well, happy Valentine's Day. Hey, welcome to uh, the kickoff series, uh, sermon for the series Misfortune Cookies. We're looking at common wisdom of the world. Well, what are you laughing at? We're looking at common wisdom of the world compared to what God's Word has to say. And over the next four weeks, we're going to take four very commonly understood truths, look at them from the world's perspective, and from God's perspective. Today, we're considering this idea Why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free? Why buy the cow? When you can get the milk for free, if you don't know what that means, ask Greg after service. All right, <laughs> let me ask you what these things have in common: a Tiger Woods and a car wreck, Bill Clinton in a blue dress, Brett Favre in a text, John Edwards and a love child, Kobe Bryant and some legal problems, Charlie Sheen and some partying, John Gosselin of John and Kate Plus Eight, and evidently one or two more. New York Representative Christopher Lee and Craigslist. What do all these have in common? Well, what they have in common is some challenges around the idea of love and sex. And this being God's uh, holiday called Valentine's Day, it's in the Bible. Of course not. No. It's just a time that we sit around and discuss romance and love. I thought it would be very apropos for us to get back to a beautiful love story. A love story that we thought we were going to see in an intro video, but was short-lived, sidetracked, got off course, got out of rhythm. So I want to take you back to the place where the rhythm begins. It begins back in a garden. This is a beautiful story, by the way. It begins with a God who is love. The Bible says of him that he is love. It's his character. He can't help it. It flows from him. And love demands an object. And God wanted to love. It's just it's what he is. It's his nature. He didn't need anything. But because he's love, he decided he would create human beings. And he would love them immensely. And he would place them in a perfect environment, the Garden of Eden. And he would give them everything they need. He gave them food to eat, a world to live on. He gave them each other, man and woman, and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. They had deep and affirming love one with another for a long time. We don't know exactly how long. It was a real love. A deep love. A love that stands in stark contrast to the video we just saw and to the people I just talked about and stands mostly in stark contrast to this picture right here. This is a picture of Alfie Patton. He's age 13. He looks 8, doesn't he? Alfie's the father of that little child there named Baby Chantel in 2009 in February. uh, This hit the tabloids in Britain and quickly made its way to the United States. This is his girlfriend, Emma Webster. She's 15 They they look considerably older. Now, there was some debate of whether or not he would be the father or, you know, whether he was, but after DNA testing, sure enough, he is the daddy. Now, the reason I'm showing you that picture is sometimes people in church will say to me, Ben, why do you have to talk about this stuff? Well, duh, because it's all around us. All around you this week, and it's Valentine's Day, people are talking about love and romance and sex And even if it weren't Valentine's Day, the truth of the matter is it's all around you. Every twist of the mouse, every text potentially, every time you turn on the television, every time you get online, in the locker room, at the school lunch table, at the job break room, this is what consumes our talks. This is what we think about. And I don't think that sometimes we give enough attention to important matters. I don't want any more Alfie Patton's running around. I don't want any more people who believe the lies of our culture that says, hey, go ahead and get all the milk and don't worry about buying the cow. I don't want anybody to be confused on what God was doing at the beginning. So I thought we'd go back to the source of truth and talk about it from God's perspective. A God who loves us deeply, loves humankind immensely, loves you, loves me. And we'd look at this God of love and what the implications are for us on two levels today. I think you can go on this journey with me. I don't think you'll be all that uncomfortable. I think we're, what's going to happen is by the time you get done, you're going to understand love on a couple, more, a couple more levels. One level being this horizontal plane right here, the love we have for each other. Right here amongst us in this church, between you and your spouse, you and your girlfriend, your boyfriend, you and your kids, a deep love that God means for us to have that flows directly from his character of love. It's a horizontal thing. But not just that alone, I want to talk by the time we get done today about a horizontal love, the love of a heavenly father that looks at us and says, I love you. I love you so much I gave my one and only son for you. I love you so much that I gave you my best and I am calling out to you to experience all that I have for you. And back to our garden, the story where it begins, man and woman. The Bible says that God looked at Adam and realized it wasn't good for him to be alone. And so he creates for him a helpmeet and takes from his side a rib and fashions a woman. And in this beautiful poetic language, we discover so much about the character of God that he loves us, he understands our needs, knows what we want, and says to us, I'm going to fulfill your deepest longings, and I'm going to do that in such a way that doesn't splinter your life, doesn't give you a fractured reality, that doesn't take away, instead, it adds to, that doesn't promise but not be able to deliver. God gives us perfect gifts, perfect love. The man looks at his woman, his bride, and says, whoa, man. And that's where the word comes from. He's impressed. And the Bible says of them that they were naked and unashamed. Sometimes I think that when Christians are considered in the culture, when those of us that follow Jesus and are in church are are talked about, and, and the idea of sex comes up, what they think often is, is that we're somehow judgmental or prudish and Somehow the idea of sex snuck up on God as if somehow God walked down into the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day like it tells us he did. And he saw Adam and Eve and he said, whoa, stop that, get off her. It never happened, by the way. It was God's idea. It was his gift. And that sexual love and the intimacy that was shared in that marriage union when things were perfect and the commitment they had to each other, exclusive and permanent, you will leave your father and mother and you will cleave to your wife, exclusive, you'll leave others, and you'll cleave to one another permanent, that that kind of love flows directly from the character of God. And I don't want you to get caught up in the culture's message today. Whether you're five years old, and if you are, you should be in this room. We have age-appropriate spaces for you to be. Or you're 15, and so you probably want to tune in, or 25, or 55, and we can go further. I don't want you to believe the lies of our culture that says, you can get a piece of this love, you can have a... a tap of this love and somehow be complete it's simply not true god made us for a complete and total love a love that would be real and complete on a horizontal plane and a love that would be complete on a vertical plane as well it is his nature by the way it's what he created us for but if you know the beautiful story of the garden at all you know that it eventually comes to a crashing halt and the man and the woman are expelled from paradise And here is God who wanted to have a loving, intimate, ongoing, face-to-face relationship with his creation, and now there's a separation between him and his humanity, him and the very object of his love. It's a great divorce, if you will. And we follow the history of this man and his woman and their progeny and what all happens in their life, and here is God, the loving father who wants to be connected. And even though they have failed and have fallen, he still reaches out to them. He created them to receive his love and to mirror back the love for each other and for him. But you don't have to go very far in your Bible to see that what man does with this desire for love and how he tries to satisfy it gets off track. Yeah, God created us to love him and to be loved by him and to love each other deeply and fully. But in Genesis chapter 27, just a few pages into your Bible, if you were to turn there, you don't have to, what you're going to find out is that what God meant for to be deep in love, a a longing for each other and a longing for him, love is talked about in a new way though. In Genesis chapter 27, verse 4, here's what it says. Now listen to these words. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out into the field and hunt hunt for game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me so that I may eat. Isaac is talking here and he's on his deathbed and he wants to eat and he loves venison stew. And so he uses a word here in English, we call it love. And he says, I love soup. I love soup. Oh, give me the soup, baby. I want some of that soup. In fact, though, I'm not exaggerating because the word here described with soup is a deep longing. It's the same word often used in a, in a sexual way of the longing between a man and a woman. Give me that soup. I crave it. I desire it. It's all I can think about. It consumes my every waking moment. Isaac, bring me that Soup, Isaac says, bring me that soup. I love it. Have you ever thought about the way we use the word love? Think about the ways you use the word love this week. We only have really one word in our English language to describe this word love. Our language is somewhat flat, at least those who know many languages tell us. We use the word love to describe all kinds of things. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love my job. (laughs) I love soup too. A lot of it. I like cheeseburgers more. I love cheeseburgers. And a good steak. Mmm. I love Some of you love the Bengals. Some of you love the Steelers. Don't raise your hand. We'd like to avoid violence in the room. (laughs) We use the word love in all kinds of forms. My daughter loves her Jeep. Some of you like Twinkies. Some of you love your sports teams, your cars, your houses, your best friends. We use the word love in an all-encompassing manner. Here, Isaac loves soup. God created human beings to have a loving connection with him. And one of the first times you get to express a deep longing, is for food. You would think maybe because it's in the Bible, it gets better, right? No. Turn your Bible one page to Genesis chapter 29. And what you're going to find in Genesis chapter 29, verse 20, is that, it's a great Valentine's verse. Listen to this. Jacob served for Rachel, the girl he loved, and they seemed but a few days Because of the love he had for her. Jacob served seven years for Rachel. He had to work for her dad seven years. But they only seemed like a couple days because he had deep love for her. God created human beings to have a deep relationship with him. And when human beings get to express this deep longing, it's for food and women. And I would suggest to you not much has changed in the thousands of years since. And a short-sightedness about love, getting out of the rhythm that God originally designed in that beautiful garden... It's caused all kinds of people, the people I listed at the beginning of the message, the folks in our video, Alfie Patton at age 13, and a bunch of us in this room, a lot of problems. It's the rhythm that the beauty of love is discovered. It's in that beating of the drum of the created order. God creates out of nothing an earth. He speaks it into being. And the Bible says that the evening and the morning were the first day. There's this idea of God engaging and pulling back. And he does it again the second day. He engages and he pulls back. And for six days he engages and pulls back. But on the seventh day he rests completely. There's a rhythm to this stuff. He creates trees that bear seeds after their kind. And those seeds grow up and produce trees in similar fashion. There's a rhythm. The tree grows, produces seeds. The seed falls to the ground, germinates and grows another tree. There's rhythms. This morning star gives way to the evening star. The sun And the moon, and there's morning and evening, and there's a rhythm, there's a beat, there's a natural flow to the created order, to the God who is love, and out of him flows all harmony and rhythm and peace and shalom. And he says to the man and the woman, this is all for your enjoyment because I love you, I want to give it all to you, all to you. And the spring gives way to the summer, which gives way to the fall which gives way to the winter, which gives way to the, unless you live in Cincinnati, the spring. Because around here, it seems like winter can last forever, doesn't it? And Cincinnati, gray kicks in about October and lasts till, you know, June or something like that. And it's, it's a little frustrating. But in most places, though, winter gives way to the spring, which gives way to the summer. And there's an ebb and a flow and a rhythm. And God's a God of order and design It doesn't fully come out in our English explanations of God and of His love, but if you look at His character and His created order, and you look at the history of the word love throughout the pages of the Bible, you begin to see this rhythm, this harmony, this beating of a drum. And God looks at us and says, I love you so much, I want you to operate in rhythm and in harmony. And so on this Valentine's Day, I want you to consider the rhythm and the harmony and the beating of the love in your life on a horizontal level between you and your spouse if you're married today. If you have a girlfriend or boyfriend, between you and your boyfriend or your girlfriend. If you're single, look around. There are other single people here. We hope that you experience that same kind of romantic love. It's a beautiful gift from God. Some of you might be on like the tail end of a relationship or you're in a painful situation. Today is an opportunity for you to rediscover the blueprint that God designed love with, the way he worked it into the rhythm and into the flow of life. And as we tap into it, dance along with it, it changes everything. I don't want you to get caught up in the lies of our culture that will give you only a hint at love, only a piece of God's great gift. I want you to experience it all. I want you to know it all. So for instance, in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. This is what Jesus had in mind as he was growing up. He's steeped in his Hebrew culture and in their tradition. Jesus comes onto the scene and he gives a powerful verse about love. That's going to set the tone for all we talk about today. It's John 13, verse 34. Jesus is talking to the crowds and he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. Even in Jesus' words, he's tapping into an old age rhythm that out of the character of God, as I have loved you, he says, then I want you to love one another. And I want you today to tap into the character of our God That loves us so deeply. I don't want you to buy the lie, the primary lie in our culture being to young men and young women and older men and older women that somehow you can experience this deep love without a full lasting commitment. You can get the milk for free without having to buy the cow. Simply not true. Oh, you can get some free milk, but it will leave you hollow and empty and hungry unless you tap into the rhythm. So, what's the rhythm? Well, in our English language, we have the word love all over the place, Twinkies and football teams and cars and kids, and we use the same word to describe it all, love, but in the Hebrew, the language of Jesus, the history out of which he's operating, the way he understands himself and his God, there are three powerful words used for love. I want you to take a little inventory today. The first one is the word raya, rayah. Raya is a word translated in your Bible as love and it means companionship or profound friendship. You can't have Raya on your first date. You can have some companionship and connection. But this is deeper than that. This is the kind of thing that says, I love all of you. As I've gotten to know you more, I love you more. As I've gotten to see the, well, the not so perfect parts of you, I love you even in spite of those. It's a deep companionship, profound friendship. It can happen between men who are of deep friendship and women who are walking along through the journeys of life together because they're friends and they love each other and they're for each other and they get to know each other and the masks come off and they discover one another and they're still committed. It happens between husbands and wives, hopefully, while they're dating. They get to know each other and they they court long enough to uncover the veil and they get past just the romance stage. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Where men, we put on our best face and we make ourselves up just the right way. I started dating Jill in the late 80s. They were the single best decade of my entire existence. The 80s were great. We had Madonna. Everybody seemed to have money. We dressed sharp. I tried to kind of get in the zone of some of that today. The 80s were a good decade. They were, friends. And in the 80s, I wore Drakar Naor. I was going to buy some, but it's still too expensive. And I dressed to the nines. And I listened to the right music. And I carried around my little Sony Walkman. And it was good times, not the CD, the old tape player, yeah, that's what we had, and we listened to good music, we wore good clothes, we smelled great, the times were good, and I started dating my wife, and I made perfectly sure that at every moment we were together, I gave her the best impression, I was very careful with my words, I gave great plan and thought to where we would date, I would buy her meals, and on occasion, buy her small gifts, give her flowers, write some really nice notes on occasion. We hung out a lot, began to be an almost everyday kind of thing, and it got to be real challenge to hold up the facade of my perfection. And so little by little, as often happens when you hang around somebody a long time, the facade begins to fall. It takes a lot of work to keep those plates in the air, doesn't it? And so she began to see me, not just as the perfect image I wanted her to see, she began to see the real me. And here we the great big test of our relationship. Would she like me in spite of the real me? Would she be able to look at me fully and completely and get to know me over time when I couldn't hold up all the facade of perfection, when the Drakar wore off, when the batteries in the Walkman died? Would she still love me? Would she, knowing me and seeing me, build a friendship with me and love me in spite of myself? Raya. That's what that's all about. It's a love that says you get to be fully known. It's the kind of thing that happened in the Garden of Eden when they were naked and unashamed. Fully revealed, mask-off kind of knowledge. You can't get this in a date or two. It takes a while. People who hook up on the first or second or evidently on the third date now is the time it happens. When that happens, they haven't really discovered Riah. And the pattern that God designed for us to be known fully before we go all the way into all the expressions of love gets disturbed, the rhythm gets off, the beat gets disturbed and we're not walking in harmony with the created order. God comes to us through the pages of scripture and gives us the testimony of Ra'a, that we would have companionship and friendship and be fully known and in spite of the imperfections, be fully embraced. It's a beautiful picture. People spend significant portions of their teenage and 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s propping up an ideal image and trying to manage that for everybody else. But ah, let you relax and take off the facade and be known and still loved. You don't dare do it on your first date or your second. It might take six months or a year or two. But God comes to us and says, this is the beginning point of love. As the tree comes and then the seed comes and then the tree comes, As the spring comes, and then the summer, and then the fall comes, ra'ah comes first. A companionship, a deep, deep knowing. Masks are off. But it's not the end all be all, because there's another Hebrew word for love that Jesus would have had in his mind when he said, another type of command I give for you, love one another. As I've loved you out of my character, you love everybody else. It's the kind of love that was in the character of God when he created this entire world, it's not ra, it's ahava. Ah, ahava is the second Hebrew word for love. And this love is powerful. It's a decision you make. It's the love of the, of the person that you choose to love. You set your will for that person. You make a choice. And it, it's the choice that says, I'm with you. We're together. We're a thing. You and I, it's it. No matter what comes in life, I'm sticking with you. You might think that I'm somehow making this imagery up, but I'm not. In fact, right in the pages of the Bible, in the book called The Song of Songs, a beautiful song of romantic love and married love, there's a picture of Ahava as the lover and his lover come together. They describe this kind of I'm-with-you reality. It's beautiful poetry. You had to be at least 30 years old in Jesus' time to read this book because the poetry is so descriptive of the full depths of love that can be explored between people who have Ra'ah and Ahavah. Listen to these words in the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6. Two lovers are talking and it says, Place me like a seal over your heart. Now lock me in like a seal on your arm, like like a bracelet, like a, a band that doesn't fall off as you move around. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy, unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. Ahava. Though the house burns down, I'm not leaving you. And if the flood comes in 100 feet high and washes everything away, my arm is wrapped around yours. You've seen this on occasion. It's rare in our culture. Sometimes you get ra'ah. On occasion, people move deep to ahava. That's when somebody in the marriage gets terminally ill, and all the flight instincts kick in, and on some level, just on an animalistic level, it would make sense to cut and run and cut your losses, but love kicks in, ahava, commitment, I'm with you, come heck or high water, we're together, and she stays, and nurses, and cares, and he stays, and he's with her. Or there's a car wreck and somebody's disfigured and they can't perform the typical functions of love and they stick with it. Or there's emotional things and baggage to deal through that maybe wasn't fully known, but it gets discovered. And now there's a commitment to one another. I'm going to be here with you no matter what. It's Ahava. It's the rhythm of life. As spring goes into summer, which goes into fall, Ra'ah leads way to Ahava and we are stuck together. I know you, Ra'ah. And I'm with you, Ahava. When I talk to people about getting married, I don't do a whole lot of weddings anymore. I just don't have time for that as our church has gotten bigger. But every time I do, there are two concepts I talk to everybody about. It's the idea of permanence and exclusivity. It's what God meant when he came down to Adam and Eve in that beautiful story of the garden. And he says, leave father and mother, exclusive. Leave everybody else and cleave one to another, permanent." hold together. Two becomes one. They're no longer separate, but one. Whenever I meet people that are living together and they're talking to me about things and I build a relationship with them as opposed to just dumping this on them, but we're talking and reaching to a a level of honesty in our relationship. I always ask them the same question. Why won't you get married? Is Is it because you don't believe that the relationship you have right now is exclusive? I mean, are you holding out for somebody else? Or do you not believe it's going to be permanent? Is it because you've looked around the world and seen that marriages often don't end up in a permanent relationship? Or has somebody hurt you deeply? Or are you just fearful? Usually it's either the exclusive or the permanent thing that keeps somebody from tying the knot when they're already acting like they're married. So in a marriage relationship, I stress this. All I'm trying to do is get us to the bedrock of Ahava. That we're together, that we stick it out. As times get tough, our bond grows, and we're pulled, and we're we struggle, and the forces of life want to yank us apart. But I am gripped like glue with you. There was an old commercial that used to play in the 1980s about band aids. Remember, it's the best decade. I'm stuck on band aids like band aids stuck on you. Remember this one? That's good stuff, friends. Right from the 80s. <laughs> it's a truism you can take to the bank. This is what Ahava is. We're together we're together. And the normal forces of life that everybody experiences aren't going to pull us apart. We need more people to know the depth of love that is portrayed for us in the Bible. A love that is about companionship and really being known and taking off the mask. And a love that is about commitment. I'm with you. I'm not going away. You can't drive me away. Now, of course, just to spend 30 seconds on the exceptions, You know, of course there's abuse in our world and the world is an ugly place. But all things being equal, we need more ahava. And God comes to us and says, I want you to know love. It flows out of my character. It's one of my greatest gifts to you. I want you to explore the full depths of love. God is no cosmic killjoy at all. I want you to know it all, but before you can experience all that love has to offer, you have to pass through ra'ah and get stripped of the facade and you have to... Grab hold of Ahava and not let go. When that happens, you can come to Dod. Dod is the third Hebrew word. It's the word that our culture rushes into. It's the word that that little video before I got up to speak is trying to illustrate. It's often bypassing the exclusive, bypassing the permanent, bypassing the commitment to one another. And getting all you can in the moment. Men trade in their marriages and they trade off their time with their kids for a moment of dode. Dode simply means to caress or fondle in the most simple, purest definition. But beyond that, it has a more metaphoric meaning. It's the idea of two souls intermingling. As spring gives way to summer, which gives way to fall, ra'ah gives way to ahava. And then when people become permanent and exclusive, the Bible describes dode. And it doesn't hold back. Christians have a bad rap when it comes to sex and love. And we're prudes, we're judgmental, we're like Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. And uh, God's the cosmic killjoy, trying to keep you from experiencing all that life has to offer. And you're young, so you have, you're given the bye to sow your wild oats. And you know, you're in college, so you know, do what you need to do. And when you get out, you begin real life. These are the lies of our culture. Take the milk, don't worry about the cow. And it's simply a lie because it'll rob you of the beauty that God offered. Let me just throw out a few, just a few ideas about this idea of sex and love and dough that God created. This passionate, fiery, souls intermingled, connected, glued together. The whole book of the Song of Solomon, the song of songs that we quoted earlier, is about two lovers coming together. And really, you did have to be 30 years old and men to read it because it's so suggestive. And the more you understand poetry and literature, the more clear the imagery becomes. And this is the gift of God. It was God who said to Adam and Eve, when he put them in the perfect garden, notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, now sit around and think about the big issues of life. That's not what he said in the Garden of Eden. He didn't say, now sit around and write worship songs. And he didn't say, sit around and pray. What he said was, get busy, be fruitful and multiply. And the same mechanics that work there are working here. It's his Idea, And it's wrong to believe the lie of our culture that says the most fun happens out there when God comes to us and says the hot, intense, burning passion of Dode happens when it's first passed through Ra'ah, and then Ahava, and then you get to experience Dode, I'm a dad. I don't want my sons believing the lie of this world that because they're young men growing up in an American culture, they can get all they want whenever they want. And at some point, they have to grow up and be responsible or at least not get caught. That's really the lie of our culture. I'm doing all I can to break that. I'm doing all I can to break that in this church. No, you want to experience God's best like the Song of Solomon describes? You want to know what God said to Solomon? God said to Solomon at one point, take, drink your fill. Enjoy the wife of your youth. And then describes in beautiful passion what dode can be when it is passed through Ra'a and Ahava first. When there's exclusivity and permanence and no facade. And you're not just being selfish, but you're building into each other and building up each other. Solomon caught hold of this. And he said, my lover, were she wine, I would drink her. Were she milk, I would bathe in her. Were she food, I would devour her. And he goes from there, and it gets much more sensual. Where does this come from? It comes from God who says, I want you to know it all. Now, if you think that God's some kind of cosmic killjoy, that he's just judgmental and wants to destroy you, and especially when it comes to this area of sex, you've got it all wrong. Let's look at the facts for just a moment if we can. In the New Testament, we have some primary examples of Jesus who is God who said, I give you a new command, love one another. We get his idea towards people who haven't necessarily got the rhythm right, who messed up and got ra'ah, ahava, and doed in the wrong order. The first time we see him dealing with this is the woman caught in adultery. She was just a pawn in the Pharisees' hands. They were trying to trap Jesus to see how he would respond. And so Jesus looks at them and he says, You without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, she begins to hear the stones drop. And at some point, they look up and Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? We don't know exactly what she says. And then he says to her, listen to these words. For all the people who believe that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy, judgmental, these are the words of Jesus when he was actually given a chance to show his heart. He says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then he speaks a powerful word I want to leave you with. I want this word to ring true all week long, in fact, for the rest of your life. He uses the word peace. Peace, peace to you. She hadn't known peace. She wasn't in the middle of peace. She was in the middle of chaos. She was about to be killed, and he says to her, peace. Just like the word love in Hebrew has so many varied meanings and levels, the word peace is much deeper than simply being without conflict. It's the idea of wholeness. It's the Hebrew idea of shalom. Be whole. Be complete, he says to the woman caught in adultery. Be complete. Be whole. Don't settle for pieces. Don't leave yourself in pieces by settling for pieces of the picture of God's love. Embrace it all. Be whole. Be complete. This is what I want for my kids. I want them to be complete in love. Be whole in love. I want my daughter to marry a guy who is whole and complete in love. Not a piece of the love. Oh, I want her to experience all that love has to offer, but to be whole and complete in it and to do it according to the rhythm of God's design in the world that flows out of his character. And I want my boys to be whole and complete and to stand in stark contrast to our culture that gives men a buy often. What about the second time that Jesus was able to show us his real heart on this? Ah, this is a powerful picture. There was a lady who encounters Jesus and she discovers from him an acceptance and a, and a personal value she had never known and he speaks to her again peace behold and she begins to cry the bible says and so she bends down loosens her hair and begins to wash his feet a sign of great humility with her hair and with her tears but in that culture something funky was going on because to let down your hair was kind of like a precursor to sexual contact usually and so the folks around watching this says, why should she do this thing? The only people that let down their hair are women in the bedroom with the man they're married to. You let down your hair and you relax with the one you love and you enjoy that connection with each other. And here she was in an asexual, non-sexual way doing behaviors that have overtones. And Jesus looks at the folks who are condemning her because they'd known she had let down her hair a lot. She had messed up a lot. She had gotten doed in front of ha -ha and in front of Ra'a a lot. And he looks at her and he shares a story and he says, there's a man who has a little bit of debt and it's forgiven. And a man who has a lot of debt and it's forgiven. Who do you think feels the most grateful? And they said, of course, the man who's been forgiven for a lot. And he says, and that's her. She's been forgiven for a lot, and her wholeness coming back to completion, her wholeness being done and worked in her, a new start being completed in her, is causing her to be overflow in gratitude, and so the tears flowed, and she washed his feet, sign of humility, and what was a crazy, goofy act that was shared with way too many becomes a beautiful picture of somebody who's beginning to, be, to get back to peace. And to wholeness. No, God is not a cosmic killjoy, and He's not He's not judgmental on the subject. What He wants for us, because He loves us, is for us to be whole and complete. And this Valentine's Day, I want you to be whole and complete. I don't want you to believe the lies of our culture that speaks so loud and so consistently, and everywhere you go, and every channel you turn on, and ABC Family on TV is the least family-oriented programming I've ever seen. And Nickelodeon at night, I'm like, I don't understand our culture. And it's frustrating for a pastor who's seen a lot of hurt of people who were not whole and not complete. And there's the truth of God's Word left closed in a book where he says, here's the plan, here's the rhythm, dance with it. Ra'ah, complete, total, Revealing of who you are and still loved. And ahava, we are glued together. And then finally doed. But get and the, and the you get him out of order and the song is off beat. get him out of order and the seasons aren't flowing. What does God think about that? Is he ready to kind of flip you off his hand and just kind of push you out into some type of eternal existence? Not at all. His word to us is I love you and I want you to be whole. And I don't condemn you. What I want for you is to go and walk in wholeness and not engage in that broken rhythm, not engage in that sin anymore. And so, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is trying to unpack the words for men and the implications of this multi-tiered love for their earthly connections with their wives. Ladies, I'm going to give you a gift today. I'm going to speak to men and we'll deal with you at some point later in another in another sermon series. And so you can send cards and gift certificates. And um, I do like steak, all right? So, men, Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to how the Apostle Paul unpacks this idea of this deep, committed, permanent, exclusive love that is fiery hot with passion. And, and eros, husbands, <laughs> go all out in your love for your wives exactly, exactly as Christ did for his church. A love marked by giving and not getting, Christ's love makes the church, here it is, whole, complete. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us. The church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and his mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats his church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. See, men, what I'm talking about here is, is us loving our spouses as God loved the church. If you're dating, it's setting yourself up to have great dode, but holding off until Ra'a and ahavah is fully explored. Listen to me, husbands. It's about putting your wife's needs ahead of your own. It means that you step up and lead her. You lead physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and you call out her great value as co-lead of the family with you. It means putting to death, Jesus gave his life, it means putting to death your sexual immorality. You stop looking at porn. And it means you quit objectifying women and stripping away their soul and their spirit and their dreams and their aspirations, leaving only a body to experience dode with. But dode's not even fully satisfying because you don't have ahava or ra'ah. It means you don't flirt with women at work and you don't send inappropriate text messages or Facebook notes. And you know when you did, every man knows when they crossed the line. And intimacy in marriage is fostered in a cauldron of integrity. You build up your self-trust. That's where you start if you want real love. You are trustworthy. It means sometimes you love her and you flirt with her without leading to sex and sometimes you love her and flirt with her hoping that it leads to the most passionate sex you've ever had. And sometimes you don't try to cop a feel. Instead, you just hug her and love her and hold her hand. And other times you cop a feel, hoping it goes all the way there. I mean, sometimes you buy her flowers just to buy her flowers. And sometimes you buy her flowers because you're hoping to get lucky that night. And you hold her hand like you did when you were dating. You spend money on her. And you go out of your way to praise her, build her up, encourage her. You shower her with love and you evoke her beauty. You make her understand how beautiful she is to you. This is the wholeness God wants for us. And I'm saying to you, if you're unmarried, do not, as the Song of Solomon says, do not awaken love before it's time. Don't rush to dode. It will leave you hollow and empty and unsatisfied with baggage. All of this comes from the character of our God. He has ra'af for us. He knows you fully. You know that? He knows you fully. He's seen you. He was there when you were knit together in your mother's womb. He was there on your best day and on your worst. He was there when you were the most proud of your behavior and when you were the most ashamed. He knows you fully. Ah, and he's glued, committed to you. The Bible says that nothing you can do will make him stop loving you. He is glued to you like super glue. He's stuck on you. He gave his best while you were still sinning. He knows you and he loves you. And we use dote in a sexual context but more than that, it means the intermingling of soul. He wants to be a part of your life and in your life and through your life and your life filled up with Him. We use the language of God being in our hearts, in the seat of our emotion, our life overcome with His love. Now let me ask you today on this Valentine's weekend, how are you doing with love on a horizontal level? The people around you, in your marriage, are you setting yourselves up to have great ah ahava, and dod? If you're married, how's that going for you? If not, take inventory today. If you're dating, take inventory. Do not awaken love before it's time. Do the rhythm that God put in place in this earth. Walk through the rhythm of the God who built love and its rhythm into all of the created order. You and I will never, ever, ever be able to break the rhythm and survive unscathed. It will break us to pieces. We will not be whole. But if that's been you, hear the words of the Lord. Neither do I condemn you, he says. Peace, be whole. Wherever you've been, start now. Feel his love and his embrace. And work towards the full love that he has for you with other people in this world. But most of all, make sure you have the love he has for you vertically established. Would you do this? Would you grab out your connect card? Around here we use our connect cards to take next steps together. And I have four steps I want to suggest to you today. You can click check a box here and uh, move forward, but it's really just an act of your faith. Here's the first thing I'd like for some of you to consider in next step A. I want to talk about the vertical thing. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that needs to make a relationship with Jesus today for the first time. See, some of us, we had it happen in a Sunday school class or a church camp or somebody made a decision for us. I'm asking you, have you ever made a decision today Up to today, for yourself, to be in a relationship with the God who created you, who loves you deeply, who gave his best for you, who loves you on a multitude of levels, and he really knows you. Have you never said to that God, to Jesus, that you'd like for him to cover your sins, your imperfections, your breaking of the rhythm? If you've never said that, you can do that today and receive his forgiveness. He can become the forgiver and then the leader of your life, and he can begin to rebuild that wholeness in you. You may have heard it described this way. He can become your savior, forgiver, and your Lord, your leader of your life. You do that simply by saying, God, I'm not perfect. I'd like to receive your forgiveness, and I'd like you to lead my life. In a moment, I'm going to pray about that way, and if that's you, you just check the box. You put that card in the offering bucket when it comes by a little bit later, and the staff and I pray for you, and we send you an email to just inform you a little bit about how great that decision is. But the truth is, is I think in this room, there might be some people who need to do that step B. Step B. And that is make a decision to renew your relationship with Jesus. I'm telling you, the culture will beat you up with this. It will lie to you and tell you that you can have Doed, you can have Ahava without ever passing through Ra'ah. And you can have Doed without passing through Ra'ah and Ahava. But you can't. You can't. You can't do it in a sustainable way. And you're not going to break the rhythm that God's built into this world. So if you need to renew your relationship with Jesus, either because you haven't been whole and complete there or for any other reason, you've just been distant from him, I want you to know his love today. As an act of your faith, you can check that box. We're going to pray about it in a minute. And throughout this week, I'll send you just a simple email that says, here's some of the good news of how much God loves you. Here's next step C. I wonder if there's anybody in the room that would say with me, You need to attend all four weeks of Misfortune Cookies as we look at major lies in our culture, and then we investigate the truth—the simple truth of God's word from the Bible. If you need to do that with us and quit believing the lies and quit letting the lies speak over you, if you have people you love that need to really press into God's truth, come. We're not asking you to be perfect here, but make a serious concerted effort to be here and let's investigate, investigate God's truth. And then finally, next step D. You know, my wife's name is Jill. And I'm not ashamed of that. She's a great lady. I'm asking some of you in this room to not be ashamed of your relationship with Jesus, but to go public with that. That's called baptism. You have a relationship with him, but you want the folks around you to know that you love him and he loves you. We celebrate that in a thing called baptism. You can check this box and somebody will be in touch with you this week about that. Why don't we pray about those things? And then let's sing about our great God who loves us right where we are. Bow with me, please. God, in this room, there are people who are trying to do business with you today. They're taking the opportunity of Valentine's Day to reassess where they are on a horizontal level in their love relationships on this earth. And there are a lot of us in this room, God, who are assessing where we are right now in our relationship with you. You're the God of love. God, I pray right now along with those folks who are saying, God, I'm not perfect. I've blown it. I'd like to receive your forgiveness and know your love. Would you become my savior, my Lord? Would you become my forgiver and the leader of my life? I want to do it your way. I want to know the wholeness. Walk in the rhythm you've designed. God, there are folks who are doing that for the first time right now. God, a lot of folks in this room are reaffirming their commitment to you. They know that you're a God who loves them, that doesn't condemn them, that wants peace for them and wholeness because you're a good God who gives good gifts. God, thank you for those folks that are recommitting their lives to you today. God, some of us just need to regularly put ourselves in a place to have the the lies of this world deprogrammed out of our heads. So thank you, God, for those that are committing to come and be a part of all four weeks of this series. And God, for those that are going to go public with their faith and declare boldly and loudly in front of this audience and in front of you that they love you and you love them, thank you for that. God, I want to thank you that you love us, that you have ra'ah and ahava endowed for us you've taken us in, and you've given us the great gift of that kind of multifaceted, beautiful love to have with each other. Stop the lies of this world in our head, God, and give us clarity about your truth. I pray it in your name, and amen.